got a heck of a show for you today for the first time ever on Pop-Ups. We're bringing you not one, but two publishers. Not only that, but an amazing genius room brimming with smarts and sagacity. Let's see who's in today. Hi, I'm Paris Hilton. Oh, and Paris uh, tells me she's looking forward to getting her teeth stuck into the first manuscript, or should that be Boneyard? I don't know, whichever comes first. Let's meet our first fabulous guest. It's the always stellar, never better, Bella Pearson from Guppy Publishing. And for the first time ever, please meet Marta Pacini from Disturbance Press. Let's take a look at the monthly leaderboard right now. Sam Horton's haunting speculative fiction, Down Country, is currently in the lead about a, a lost island off the coast of Cornwall. Deliciously written, Down Country is going to take some beating, but maybe one of today's submissions will do just that. We'll find out very soon. And please let me remind you that there are just a few hours left now. That's all, yeah, just a few hours. In the very first craft chat of the new year, before that's sealed forever. So it's really important that if you've got any contribution to make, you do it right now. And of course, don't forget to vote on each and every post. It's sealed at midnight tonight. So now let's get on to our very first submission. And here it is. It's called Selected. It's a thriller. And it's from Eve. Let me read you Eve's blurb. Bella, I can't believe it! It's synchronicity again! Bella is, our guest Bella is going to say this is a put up job, it's all fixed. It isn't, I swear to you it's not. Here we go, protagonist of our very first submission is called Bella. Isn't that amazing? Bella running from her past with lethal skills that aren't strictly hers and Wren, eager to help his family leave their lives behind for a new beginning on the island. In a strange new environment, they and their newfound friends are thrown together in a desperate struggle for survival when they uncover the truth behind the so-called paradise. Friendships are formed, limits are tested, and secrets come to light as they fight tooth and nail to stay alive, get home, and tell the world the truth. Let me tell everybody about you, Eve. Um, I'm currently studying at college, you say, in the southwest of England. Uh, since all of my A-levels and maths are science orientated, I enjoy writing as a more creative and expressive hobby than I've pursued for a long time. I started writing my debut novel, Selected, two years ago and have now finished my final draft and I'm looking to go about publishing it. You've come to the right place. Um, as a young writer, yeah, I'm guessing you are actually, I'm eager to receive any feedback that will help me to improve. Thank you for this opportunity. That's what we're here for. And we're also here to give you a fabulous reading by Hannah. Selected by Eve Williams, read by Hannah. Sometimes it only takes a singular decision for the course of your entire life to change. Just one, just one moment where you made a choice that you couldn't take back. I made one of those decisions three months ago when I put my trust in someone who didn't deserve it. And now I was looking down at the dead girl on the floor. Gabrielle was the name I'd known her by 
but it didn't seem like it fit her anymore. Suddenly, the girl I'd lived with for months was gone. She wasn't Gabrielle now. She was just a body. I reached down and closed my friend's unseeing eyes. Everything seemed only half real, as though it was happening to someone else. She'd been messing around and joking and doing stupid imitations of our instructors less than 20 minutes earlier. I'd left to shower after our recent sparring session and had returned to find her lying face up on the floor. Returning to our room, I kicked her feet gently as I entered, telling her to stop messing around, the half smile on my face falling away as my instincts told me something was wrong. Hers was the body that took the total to four. Just Jacob and I were left now. Were four dead teenagers enough? Would they finally give up on whatever they were trying to do here? No, of course not. That was the moment that I fully accepted the truth. As long as we were alive, they would keep pushing us as hard as they could, hoping they could achieve their aim. They didn't care what it took. What are four deaths in the whole scheme of things when they told us that this technology would eventually save millions of lives? It wasn't like anyone would ever hear or care about our deaths. We were nobodies, all of us. People with nowhere else to go and nobody left to care if we vanished. We wouldn't be missed or mourned or searched for when we didn't go home. We were invisible, lost in the millions of other people exactly like us. Hold on, I thought to myself, maybe I could use that. There was power in being invisible. People talk about trying to find a needle in a haystack. How about finding a needle in an avalanche of other needles that keep moving and changing? If I could get out, if I could lose myself in the millions and millions of people in the country and stay below the radar, they'd have a pretty hard job of finding me. Perhaps my fate was tied to the four bodies that had succumbed before me. Maybe I too was destined to be found lying lifeless and alone. But at least it wouldn't be for the benefit of the people that had brought about my death. I didn't have long. There would only be a short amount of time before someone realized that she was dead and then I'd lose the only source of commotion that I had. Practically hurling myself across the room, I ripped open my wardrobe and pulled my go bag packed with spare clothes, a thick jacket and a wad of cash that I'd stolen from the staff that never seemed to notice my pickpocketing. I guessed the stealth skills they'd given me were good for something. I always kept one packed, a habit that had developed after needing to make a quick getaway in the past. Some would call it paranoid, but as far as I was concerned, paranoia was a word created by the blissfully ignorant. Shoes done up, bag on back, and sufficiently horrified without having to act, I clicked the communication button next to my bed. Help! I cried down the line, deliberately making my voice sound as desperate and distraught as I could. Tears burned my eyes and I let them fall. Please, help! 
Gabrielle, she's... I think she's dead. There was the sound of curses from the other end, but I detected more annoyance in the scientist's voice than remorse or sorrow. We'll send someone down, he said, over the sound of rapid typing. Try to keep calm, Bella. There is nothing to worry about. Yeah, and that is the motto for today's show. Try to keep calm, Bella. There's nothing to worry about. Um, <laughs> let's have a look and see what the genie is saying already. Um, Hannah, who was our narrator, actually. Let's go straight to her, because it's always really interesting to think, to see what they're saying. Uh, yeah, Hannah says, this has good flow, was easy to read, but lacked emotion. Someone who became her friend has just died. Yeah, and Annie says too much backstory now. Although Annie actually did like the way it started. She said, I like the first paragraph, but then after a minute or two, she said, too much backstory now. Stick with the body and how she's reacting to it and the actions that follows. And Annie says, are we going from Battle Royal to Hunger Games to Squid Game? <gasps> and back again. Yeah, and Martin's just come in. A good place to start where we need to see impact of death to bond with the character. Promise though, interesting concept. Let's drop you straight in the deep end there, Marta. What did that do, do for you? <laughs> Um, okay, so the title uh, is so-so. It didn't particularly grab me. Uh, it didn't put me off either. It's just quite generic, I suppose. But it is a bit generic, isn't it? It could yeah. not change. Yeah, I that's mean, what I thought. It, uh, yeah. Um, I thought the blurb was quite generic, actually. Um, yeah. I think this is a mistake that a lot of beginning writers can do. Um, yeah. They write a blurb that's like the back copy. But actually, when you're submitting something to a publisher or an agent, I would say you need spoilers. You need yeah. to reveal possibly more than than would eventually be revealed on the back cop, you know, the back cover of of the book. Um, so don't worry about spoiling it. I've, unfortunately, we're not reading your submissions for the plot. Uh, we want to know what's going to happen because that helps us make a decision. Um, yeah, I thought the the craft was okay. There wasn't much that I thought was a red flag. Um, the bang... did you get some? So just sorry, just uh, Vicky says uh, because I'm getting a little emotion from the character. I'm not engaging with them. Did you feel there's any? Uh, do you feel any sort of emotion coming out out of that at all? Did it engage you emotionally, Marta? Um, no, not enough. Um, I would have actually uh, stayed with the action and showed more action in the very beginning, I think, because it's clear yeah. that something is going on here and yeah. leave the the reflections, the inner reflections to when Bella has got to a place of safety and she's got a, time, a bit of time yeah, to breathe. Very good at the point. moment, she hasn't got time to breathe. Very good point. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's just see if you if you're voting. Okay, How, have you got the voting thing all, all figured and press the the send the uh, the vote button? Oh, not yet. Let me do that. Okay. Okay. Meanwhile, we will speak to Bella, um, the namesake Bella. Yeah, you must be uh, amazingly surprised to find yourself a protagonist of our first submission. I am. Yeah, I'd, I'd like yeah. to know about this skills, but not mine. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I agree. I agree with Marta with her uh, views on the title and the blurb. Um, but what it really struck me was that the story hadn't quite started in the right place. I mean, I was really mm. intrigued by it, but I, I, it felt like, and normally I'm the reverse. Normally I say, you know, you need to start a bit further along because there's a little bit too much going on. But actually, I felt I wanted to know the situation. The four people have died already. Um, it feels like you're in the middle of the story. 
and actually we needed to know more about it before we got there but uh, yeah. obviously i don't know the rest of the story so it's hard to tell but yes there's just there was way too much backstory but actually that sounded really interesting and i was i sort of felt to get a relationship you might need to do a bit more of setting it up setting up that yeah. scene um, yeah. but it was yeah i like the writing i thought the writing was good and at the end i was once you start the dialogue and you start the action really happening that's where it grabbed me that's where i was interested fantastic good let's just go back and see if uh, Mart has done the the vote thing yes you have fantastic that's great brilliant let's see the total numbers so far which obviously can go up and down as people in the genius room you know uh, vote a bit more but less whatever um so you look at a 52 so far which is quite reasonable actually the thing that i thought was that um i'm kind of watching something like this at the moment already actually on on netflix and it's kind of it's japanese manga it's very nicely done but it's it is very generic and yeah you know, so it's a bunch of kids who find themselves on an island and blah 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 and i think um 20 years ago so it would have been fairly interesting new concept but it has been done a lot it does feel generic and one or two people have said that and the martyr said that and several people said that in the genius room too so thing is you're very young um and you know you i feel it holding back a bit just be be, be extraordinary be be unusual be creative be outrageous do something you know shocking actually you can do that you can experiment you don't have to start i think there's a lot of pressure on writers these days to to stay within established norms and not no don't don't, don't double space it and don't all the, the rest of this kind of stuff too many rules actually and intimidating writers so i'd encourage you to go go crazy you obviously can write but um, as a concept, I, I can't get too excited about it. So you can see where we're, we're going at the moment. 52, 52, very good. Should we uh, do one more submission? And then I think we'll have a word with both Bella and Marty. Here we go, submission number two. E-jury, not injury, e-jury, not e-cigarette, e-jury. It's upmarket, it's commercial. Well, I hope so. And it's from Kathy, and Kathy is with, with us right now. This is... Thank you, Kathy. Such a great way to connect people in the writing community. I'm so excited to get feedback. I hope you are. I hope so. And there's a QR code there too, which I would encourage everyone to uh, send us a link, please, because we're delighted to, you know, uh, put a link up there to uh, whatever website or whatever it is placed on the internet. Facebook page, if you still use Facebook or something. TikTok, eh? TikTok. Lots of writers on TikTok now. Okay, this is Kathy's blurb in e-jury 20 anonymous jurors watch the trial on computers alone in their homes and decide a young man's fate e-jury is told from the perspectives of five characters shannon a passionate prosecutor who's deeply and dangerously invested in the case carter the young accused who argues that his actions were self-defense the grieving mother of the victim debbie Sam, a viewer of the trial who's hiding a secret, and Travis, a conscientious father who is one of the jurors. Let me tell everybody about you, Kathy. It's short and sweet. Uh, my debut novel, Six Minutes, was published by Burnstown Publishing House. Prior to writing, I was a lawyer in Toronto for 15 years. Totally understood. And uh, message received. And what I'm going to um tantalize you with now as the prospect of an amazing reading it is from our very own bev e jury by kathy roberts read by bev prologue shannon 
Leaving behind a zigzagging trail of discarded items, Shannon collapsed onto her worn black leather couch, ordered pizza, grabbed the remote control and flipped to a mindless TV show. Her phone vibrated on the coffee table. Rolling her eyes, she ignored the call. The vibration continued, rude and relentless. Leaning forward, she glanced at the number, Quinn. Her frustration vanished as she reached the phone. Hey, what's up? Are you watching this? Quinn asked. His voice was two pitches higher than usual, and he was out of breath. Watching what? Shannon asked. The news. No, I'm... Go to CBC. It's horrible. With a deep sigh, Shannon switched to the news channel. Her left leg bounced up and down, toes pushing off the plush carpet. A young newswoman, Mandy Thomas, stood on a sidewalk, tall and slim, with styled hair, perfect makeup and a blue fitted skirt suit. Police cars, flashing lights, yellow police tape and a small crowd filled the scene behind her. Mandy spoke slowly and earnestly into a microphone. I can confirm that one person has been shot and is in critical condition and that a second person, the alleged shooter, has been shot and killed. Her forehead creased and the pink glossy lips turned down. We don't have full details at this time, but here is what we do know. The victim is a male juror in the Percy murder trial. He's been rushed to the hospital where he has been treated for life-threatening injuries. The jury was in their second day of deliberations. They were heading from the courthouse to their hotel when multiple gunshots were fired. The alleged shooter was shot and killed at the scene by the sheriff who was escorting the jury members. Holy shit! Both Shatton's legs now bounced wildly. Mandy paused to look behind her and then slowly back to the camera. The blood across the street can still be seen, staining the sidewalk and our justice system. I have a witness here with me now who helped the victim. She's a hero. The camera zoomed out, showing a pale, exhausted older woman with wild grey frizzy hair. Can you please tell me what you saw? Mandy urged. The woman leaned towards the microphone. Holding back tears, bottom lip quivering, she said, I was just walking over there. She turned and pointed east of the hotel. And then I heard loud bangs. I think four, but maybe five. I panicked and hid behind a tree over by the stoplight. There was shouting and screaming and, and when I didn't hear any more shots, I came out and saw a sheriff standing and pointing a gun at a man lying on the grass. Another man was lying on the sidewalk, not moving, surrounded by a group of people yelling and crying. Where was that person shot? Mandy asked. I couldn't see at first, but I ran over to help. The woman tugged at her sleeve nervously. He was conscious and bleeding severely from the neck. Was he speaking? Mandy asked. Did he say anything to you? The woman shook her head. Grey frizz swayed, then resettled. No, he looked... He, his eyes were glossy and unfocused. I applied pressure and did what I could until the ambulance. Mandy's slender manicured hand went to her earpiece and her eyes and mouth opened wide. She turned dramatically towards the camera and leaned forward. Breaking news. I have just received confirmation that the victim has passed away from his injuries. Police are not releasing his name until family members have been notified. Gain, I repeat, 
we have just confirmed that there are now two fatalities. The older woman's head fell into her hands and she cried. The camera zoomed in on her face, but her features were shielded by trembling fingers and unruly hair. Shannon placed her hands on her legs, trying to quell the bouncing. Her stomach surged. A juror was dead. The Percy trial would end in a mistrial. Another horrible, tragic, unthinkable injustice to add to an already too long list. Uh-uh. Well, at least the uh, protagonist was not called Bella this time. Or Marta, actually. Otherwise, they would be really, you know, quite suspicious, I think, wouldn't they? Uh, let's see what the uh, generation is saying. Um, Vicky, oh, dear, that's big and bold, isn't it? Not engaged. Uh, boggy down the floor, says Johnny. Let's go back a little bit and see what people are saying initially. Uh, Michelle said, sounds interesting. Um, Andy, prologue, let the judge fight commence. Vicky, blurb. Um, blurb needs to select key moments rather than the list of the characters to engage more straight exposition and eva says great jury trials from the past this is different because it's virtual yeah uh quite up to date but will it hold vicky says 12 angry men yeah 12 ang angry zoomers i don't know if that's going to work it might do it might be interesting what do you think what do you think Bella? i like it I, I mean i didn't i i felt that um i thought the writing was great and i thought the concept was great um, not so keen on the title, but what I, I mean, I didn't think the newscast, obviously that just wouldn't happen the way that, mm. that was spun out and that all that information c could come out later. But I think the whole premise is really intriguing and I, I like the writing enough to want to, you know, know what happens. I just felt of the newscast, the newscaster didn't feel like a real life situation no. at all. It felt like a lot of information being given, which wasn't really necessary because we were, I, I quite like that initial character. I felt I got quite a lot from that already. So yeah, I, I, I was actually, I enjoyed it. I don't okay. think it was right, but I think it's got potential. Okay. So you've got five characters here. Um, told from the perspectives says Kathy of mm, five characters. Funny. Is that over ambitious? Do you think for a, a first, first manuscript? Yeah. It is ambitious, absolutely. Uh, it's her second manuscript, I think, isn't it? Yeah, so you were, you were paying attention, yes. A published writer, I think um, it's ambitious, but um, I should think it's possible. Hmm. Okay. So we're dealing with a big, successful commercial genre here. I'm thinking Michael Connolly. Um, and I'm wondering what you... Do you read this at all? Do you read this tall matter? This kind of genre, Michael Connolly, Lincoln Lawyer stuff. Uh, yeah, sometimes not as much as uh, others, but yeah. at the moment I, I read very few published books. I'm afraid to say because I've oh, welcome to publishing, to right? Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, um, but I do think this has quite a lot of commercial potential. Um, I, I actually really like the title, although do you? thinking about it, it mm. does feel quite dystopian which I don't know that this is necessarily what it's trying to do. So perhaps um, looking back, it, it did really draw me in, but I wonder whether it sends quite the right message. I'm wondering um, about that too. I've got, I've got absolutely a split, split mind on that because on the one hand, my first reaction is, oh, I don't know if I like E anything really, but then E jury, and I'm thinking to myself, actually, that's how most of us spent the last two years really on Zoom, isn't yeah. it? Doing, doing everything on Zoom really, and trials, I'm sure. But then, then my next thought was, um, I'm bouncing backwards and forwards on this, because um, Zoom is kind of lame, really. 
and you know i mean people are fed up of zoom I mean, if you talk about zoom to anyone it's all like oh blimey can't we just get off these zoom meetings so is that is that a plus point do you think marta or, or a negative really oh god it could really go either way um i mean there's some research saying that people don't want to hear about the pandemic for example in, in yeah books. really <laughs> they're just fed up with it um so perhaps it, it could put some people off um Others, not so much. I really think it could be split. So, oh, the jury's out on this one. I know. Yeah. I think that's actually <laughs> right. I mean, Thank you, Martin. Martin. But it's true. I think that's probably right. Have you, um, just to butt in, um, the, have you read Janice Hallett's The Appeal, which is huge at the moment, and it's all based around emails. And this sort of reminds me, there are a lot of characters in that as well. And I think if you were clever, you could really do something with this, I think, and make it quite exciting. Oh. Um, I recommend reading The Appeal. Okay, well, that's, that's great advice there, um, Cathy, um, from really one of uh, Britain's most experienced and successful publishers. So take that, <laughs> take that very seriously. Uh, also, also one of the nicest, too, because she's so self-effacing, actually. I'm going to have to do a big commercial for Bella in a moment, actually tell you all the great things she's done, because she won't. Um, but I do. I, my own feeling, for what it's worth, uh, as 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 an agent looking at this, would be it's it hasn't. It's not got that standout quality. What I'd be looking for would be because because it is a big, big, huge, successful genre. You know, it's very commercial. People like Michael Conley make billions. Um, and but it's, it, Michael Conley's a bit dated now. So the thing that does intrigue me, but uh, is 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 the zeitgeist thing. So you know, we know this kind of book works really well commercially. How are you going to update it to the zeitgeist? And your answer, of course, is I've updated it to take account of Zoom. Fair enough. And um, I wonder. I wonder if, if if that's actually enough. I wonder if that's enough or not. I'm not sure. I'll probably have to read on. Let's see what the numbers are looking like. Oh, 61. Very good. I hope you're pleased with that. I hope you're pleased with uh, people's reactions and thoughts and comments too. Because if, you, if you're live on YouTube now, let us know. We review your, your manuscript. You can review ours. Absolutely. Please do, Cathy. <laughs> Right, before we go any further at all, I'm going to have to tell everyone about Bella, because she's not going to write. So, Bella's a, t a talent spotter. She's got a great nose for success. Do I have to mention Boy in the Striped Pyjamas, Before I Die, Art of Being, nor uh, being Normal, uh, one Branford Bowes Award under your belt, five nominations, uh, five shortlisters, um, Sunday Times Children's Books of the Week quite frequently. Um... You're a class act, Bella. We're, we're, <laughs> what are you doing on a show like this? I mean, <laughs> let's look and let's see what's going on on your website. This is this is Bella's website, Guppy Books. I have to say, it's it's a few weeks since I've seen it, and there's quite a lot of new stuff going on here. It looks like you've mm. been busy. You've been what, what's what's happening? Well, the uh, the biggest excitement we had was Maggie Blue that's just gone past is uh, was shortlisted for the Costa Children's Book Award, so that Very was good. really exciting. Exciting! It was only our second year of publishing, so to have a book, you know, with a tiny publisher like us on with all the big publishers, the other yeah. three, was fantastic. So that's brilliant. That was that's our brilliant. big excitement. 
And what what is I'm cueing you here? I'm giving you a little hint. Here. What's here coming up? Have, What's coming up, Bella? So February we have this wonderful book, which is actually is the winner of the Guppy Open Submissions Competition from 2020. So we did nice. our first competition, which was open to anyone and everyone, young adult books. Uh, we had over 400 submissions, and this was the winner. And Nadia is simply a wonderful writer. She's only in her early 20s. Hmm. Uh, she's a law student in London, and she's written this incredible book, which has this sort of apocalyptic backdrop but it's a very warm and intimate sort of family story it's a bit like that film don't look up but it's yeah. the really lovely family story element of that oh nice it's, uh, um a, a girl who goes across malaysia looking for her estranged sister and patching up their family really and it's just such a wonderful young adult book it really she's a, she's a one to watch a future star. If that's Absolutely. what if that's what you're saying, I'm I'm sold on it oh, yeah. because because your your reputation is second to none. I'm actually one of the few people who actually liked. Don't look up. I thought it was great. Oh, I, 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 liked I had a great time. I, did you see some of the reviews? They've been dreadful, oh. dreadful. I don't understand why. I mean, the, the, the Guardian they gave it two two separately it. bad reviews. Yeah. yeah, incredible. I mean, a lot. Everyone mm. you speak to seem to have loved it actually. But, oh, yeah. Also. Yeah. Mm. Oh, well, there we go. Uh, let's have a look at submission number three. It's called The Love Cure. Love Cure. It's women's commercial art market. Top ranking. It's from Belinda. And there's a QR code there too. Link to go to, which I do recommend you go to. And I'm looking forward to this. It's Belinda with us live on YouTube. Thank you very much for being with us, Belinda. Um, this is Belinda's blurb. Big Pharma are testing drugs to make you fall in and out of love. Your strange new lover, your brother and your best friend are acting oddly. You discover a secret. Now everything is a game of cat and mouse. After swearing off love, Londoner Adrienne is drawn to the irresistible Dane at a workshop on the science of love. Their ensuing intense love affair unravels when she suspects him of using love drugs on her. Only she can uncover the truth that love cure takes gaslighting to a new level. Do we need that? <laughs> does it need taking to a new level? I don't know. Obviously it does in, in this manuscript, Belinda. Uh, I'm going to tell everyone about you now. Uh, while working as a speech and language therapist, I completed a master's in creative writing at Royal Holloway. I live in London with my daughter. My days are split between motherhood, speech, and language therapy and writing. Hmm. The Love Cure is my second novel. It grew from my interest in falling in love, whether it's just an addictive chemical reaction or whether it's truly romantic with a root in our deepest fantasies. Hmm. Twinned with this is my fascination with neuroscience and the shadowy control of Big Pharma on our deepest emotions and even identity. How timely. Our novel was shortlisted for the Virginia Prize 2020. Okay, so we're going to give it a huge boost right now with a reading from Ali. The Love Cure by Belinda, read by Alison. 6th of January. The cream towers and chilled arch windows wink through the conifers, and I still myself. I need to get inside to prepare myself before the others arrive. Meeting new people, especially now, gives me unpleasant feelings of weightlessness, like the sudden loss of a platform beneath my feet. I'll do anything to avoid that, even if it means arriving in the dark and pacing under a street light in the savage snow. 
At the peal of my ringtone in the North London air, I turn sharply, the name Louise flashing on my screen. I stoop beneath a bow of you. Her thick blonde hair will be uncombed, her green eyes pink-rimmed and cloudy from her cold. The you breathes its dark, forest fragrance into my lungs. The cool clock is ticking, the sky is brightening, and there's movement on the street. If only there were time to speak to her, but I dare not risk it. My guilty fingers curl around the phone and slip it away. The horizontal blur that cut my face on the pavement has spread a wintry veil. It creaks underfoot. A grey squirrel dashes across, leaving skinny tracks, before disappearing down a powdered hole in the trunk of a juniper tree. With a shove, the arched oak doors deliver me into a vast hall, scented with wood and leather, its warmth immediately enfolding my body. There's a spiral staircase behind a glossy desk, a dark corridor to the right, and a door ajar to the left. I walk towards the empty desk. I imagine we'll spend the day in one of the spaces depicted on the website, the ballroom with its lace canopy of mouldings, or one of the larger salons, all faded wallpaper and cabinets of porcelain. I'd been expecting a drab kind of building for the conference, with a modern painted facade, not a mock Gothic villa, though the postcode in proximity to Hampstead Heath might have provided a clue. The burgundy walls bristle with silence. Nobody comes to register me. I start pacing again, too polite to seek the teaching space without permission. There's a circular brass plaque on the wall to the left of the desk. In Quarere de Lumine, in search of light. IQL Research, positively impacting the future of humanity. IQL Education, promoting informed debate and public engagement in government, business, universities and communities. I inhale, counting to four and slowly exhale. Minutes creep by. Eventually there's the snip-snap of approaching heels and a dark woman in an emerald suit materialises from the corridor carrying a large file. Her appraising eyes bring to mind Tommy's question, why does a woman like you need to learn about the neuroscience of love? What he meant, of course, was, why does a barren, separated, forty-something woman like you need to learn about the neuroscience of love? Here for the seminar? Yes. An unexpected lightness reassures me that my plan is working out. I make a mental note to call Louise at coffee break. Perhaps she needs more Lemsip or a packet of paracetamol. Unfazed by my early arrival, the woman seats herself at the desk and removes a list printed in fuzzy black ink from the file. Your name, please? Adrian Tremaine. She checks it off and reclines, smiling and tapping her pen. Her eyes roam my features, not unkindly, before a shadow falls across her face, enough to notice before her smile returns. It can't be my new choppy haircut or the charcoal sweater. I've made such an effort to appear presentable. This is why people scare me now, and it takes complete resolve not to flee. I'm Mariella, course coordinator. I need directions to the seminar room, but she gazes up to the spiral staircase and birdsong, a chaffinch or a thrush, erupts outside. Brought your own lunch, Adrian? Her voice is familiar. I nod. Good. You can eat in the conservatory. We provide hot drinks, but if you're peckish for cake, there are shops or cafes by the tube. Now, your course notes. She licks her finger pad and hunts in the file.
Okay, so let's go straight to the genius room and see what they, the genii are saying. Um, and basically, you've got a pretty good reaction here, Belinda. So if, um, I know you're watching live, but the recording will be up in just a sec after the show's finished. So you can just freeze it and read through everything everyone's saying, because that's really priceless feedback. No one else ever, ever does this, actually. You're getting, it's like, you know, a slice through the collective consciousness, really. It's quite extraordinary what, what the genius room does. So you're getting pretty strong reactions here. Um, very sensory, says Liz. Pamela Joe says, plausible, interesting premise. First sentence sets up an expectation, says Kate. Um, Michelle says, very visual. And a lot of people like your writing here. Um, a couple of negatives. Um, Eva, first of all, says, a parody of Midsummer's Night Dream. We, yeah, actually, and the thing is, uh, I mean, this is not actually really, when you think about it, a very new concept at all, is it? I mean, it's like hundreds, maybe thousands of years old. So why now? And in a, in a way, it feels a little modest, actually, compared to the things that, you know, the big farmer is doing to us right now. Um, the other thing is, though, is, is, is I th Hannah mentioned and one or two other people are thinking about too, and it's, it is, uh, Hannah says, oh, this says date rape to me, date rape, and somebody else said Rohypnol. I hope the story doesn't in any way promote the idea of these love drugs. So that is a possible negative. What did you think, Marta? Huh, um... I'm not sure that it is the genre that it says it is. Mm. <laughs> uh, I'm quite intrigued, in a sense, but um, I've mentioned dystopia before. Maybe I come back to it because I love dystopia, but to me, that's what it feels like. You know, I publish social justice-themed fiction, and to me, you know, I'd be interested in this from that angle. Uh, what a big farmer do? Interesting. Um, so I, I wouldn't put something in women's fiction, yeah. which is a ridiculous term anyway, just because it's about love at all. That's very interesting. That's exactly, you might, you, you know, these synchronicity things happen so interestingly. Okay, so inside the Collins, inside Latopia, you, you won't have seen this, but, um, you know, we, we give a list of all the uh, manuscripts coming on um, every uh, Sunday show and the, the genres that the authors describe. And that is exactly one of the comments that is, how can, how can something that represents 50% of the population be a genre? It's, you know, women's fiction. I mean, like, what does that mean, actually? Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it is actually quite an old-fashioned publishing term, in fact. Um, what, what, were your, what were your thoughts about the, the Eurohypnol thing and so on? Do you think that's a negative? I'd have to go back to the blurb and read it again. Okay. Um, I mean, I wouldn't want to publish a book that promotes it. No, um, obviously, no. I also uh, don't have a problem with um, the exploration of this kind of thing, you know, I'm very much for uh, showing reality how it is, not always how it should be. Fantastic. Um, obviously, it all depends how you do it. Yeah, But totally. a mention is not an endorsement. No, quite. And it's very confident writing, isn't it? A number of people have said that they just enjoy it. Someone else has said they would definitely read on. So it's a nice, confident prize. What did you think, Bella? Yeah, I liked it. Um, I think I felt it didn't move on as quickly as it could have done um, for me. Um, the writing is, it is very confident. It felt a little over poetic at times to me, for me. Mm -hmm. um, but I, uh, yeah, I, I and I've also the other thing that just to say is the blurb for me, I found it very confusing. I couldn't quite work out which parts, yeah. you know, the, the sort of gen generic site, first paragraph, and then the more specific second paragraph. Yeah, um, yeah it was, I, I was probably less interested in the, I wanted it to move on. I wanted to know what's happening. I was, I enjoyed the writing, but I still think the story has to carry you further than that story at that point was. 
Yeah. She'd only yeah. really got to the desk, and there was a bit of background, which was nice. Um, do you think? But, um, do you think? Um, uh, let's have a brains trust uh, reaction here. Do you think uh, the whole idea of sort of uh, big pharma, evil big pharma, is that is that in the zeitgeist at the moment, or are we all kind of fell up of it? Um, God, I don't know. I don't know what is in the zeitgeist at the moment. It's difficult, isn't it? Actually, I so, know. my radar has d- definitely switched uh, down a bit. It's gone down a few notches. I've only just uh, clicked this. This is only just clicked on my head, but actually, I don't know that uh, it would be the most sort of interesting thing at the moment. Uh, in the sense that there are so much conspiracy theories uh, going around um, about uh, the COVID vaccine and mm. complete misinformation and ridiculous notions being spread that maybe from a social responsibility point of view, it might not mm. be the best time to start saying, mm. um, look at all the horrid things that pharmaceutical companies are doing. It's yeah. a very sensitive topic. It would have to be done in a certain way. Yeah, that's absolutely right, actually. Yeah, good point. Let's go and look at the numbers here. Ooh, I think you've pushed ahead there, Belinda. You've Urged up a bit. Hopefully, no one in the genius room is going to give you a slightly lower than average mark. And if they do, then you will actually see in real time the numbers go down a bit. But you're looking good. You're looking good. And actually, yeah, I mean, Marta's given you strong marks for the commercial appeal, which is what we call the bang. And the genius room has two. So you're looking good. And was that a was that a publishing offer? I I heard you 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 give out on that there, Marta. <laughs> nope. Um, but I guess I would be interested in, in reading a bit more if the book was written or could be rewritten okay. f- with a social justice angle. Very good. Um, okay. You know? Well, I think I think that's an invitation, Belinda, to get that manuscript straight off uh, to Marta right now, and uh, we will yeah, take our usual is. commission, of course. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that's great. And what a great cue, actually. What a great cue. Where should Belinda send the manuscript to? Well, probably here. Look. Oh my goodness me. The home of social justice fiction, Disturbance Press. What great name, Disturbance Press. Making a bit of a fuss. Making a bit of a ruckus. How did you come up with the name? I was reading a book, uh, strangely enough, uh, it was East of Acre Lane by Alex Wheatle, mm. and there's somebody there who gets arrested, charged with disturbance of the peace, and oh. I thought, that's it. That's lovely, actually. I, I think it's a great name. It's, it's somewhat high fashion, but it's absolutely spot on. I think it's brilliant. Uh, what does what is social justice fiction define it for us? Um, any fiction that explores a social justice theme as part of it doesn't have to be preachy uh the first books the first two books coming out are written by myself and i do tend to be a little bit preachy okay. so i'm very interested in <laughs> we know what to expect <laughs> <laughs> um yeah but it needs to explore you know either how things are bad or yeah. how things should be so everyone, everyone thinks, I mean, everyone, I'm talking about boomers, really, people in my generation. Everyone thinks, oh, social justice fiction, that's completely new. <gasps> what is this? We are being overtaken by wokery. But actually, <laughs> if, you th- if you think about it, it's been going on for a long time. You could say that Dickens wrote social justice fiction, certainly Upton Sinclair, The Jungle and so on. I mean, uh, Grapes of Wrath, probably. So, um, yeah, George Orwell. 
um, very much. Aldous Huxley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So all the big publishers um, right now are. Oh, there we go. You got you got a submission coming at you, Marta. <laughs> right. I love it when this happens. How fantastic! <laughs> we should have we should have two publishers on more often. We're getting bidding against each, each other live. Oh, wouldn't that be exciting? Yeah, I'd love that. So all the big publishers at the moment are desperate to sort of to 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 to, to garb themselves in the raiments of uh, social justice. How um, how authentic that is or not what bizarre instinct made you say to yourself i'm going to do this by myself and you know the the big boys can can whistle what what makes you think you Probably can take partly masochism um <laughs> right but other than that um well i think the space for a lot of different kinds of books uh the service press is explicitly um broad for church leftist um so uh, that's a more sort of ex explicit um, stance that yeah. most publishers take. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's what I think will set it apart. Um, I thought I'd do this because uh, big publishers have very commercial interests. And I think that I do. Uh, for some of them, social justice might be just another trend yeah. that comes yeah, and absolutely. then goes again absolutely. Absolutely. and yeah. you know discussions of justice and injustice need to be ever present we're never done with the struggle for justice yeah yeah very good now i'm going to ask um um i'm going to ask bella um who has been absolutely in, in your position uh quite recently uh, two three years ago uh bella, um let's let's uh, let's have some advice for our, for our new publisher here who's, who's been doing it for six months or so uh what would you do differently what what are you very pleased to have done what's your biggest mistake you you can you can be honest uh what would I do differently um i would underprint which is i overprint okay. quite a lot at the beginning and that yeah. was a big mistake um and what else I would, yeah, remain as open as I, as you can be, which I think you are being anyway. So that, I don't think I need to yeah. say that. Um, yeah. So that's why, because I, I think it's really difficult when there's only one or maybe just one of you or have, you know, if you're thinking about getting bigger, but it's hard to be open to everybody because uh, of time and you just haven't got the capacity to read 100 manuscripts a week, but somehow to do that every year, which is why we did our, why we do the open submission competition. For just um, how, lo how long is that actually open? It's open. Well, we 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 um, prepare people for a long time, and then it's a week of uh, people submitting. Oh, just a week, just a um, week. It's right, just that's a week. very and intense. The whole process takes three or yeah. four months. And, and yeah, but and in in that week, how many submissions do you get? Well, we've had about four hundred each time. Okay, so, right. that's um, a lot to get it's through. Yeah, it's a lot to get through, but it's better yeah. um, to do it that way. And I mean, I do look at every single one, so it's yeah. you know. It, to be manageable um and i would I you consider charging um you know um 10 quid or something like that for each submission or, no. or not no, no i don't the l last year what i did was um say you know there's no charge but if you'd like to buy a book you know, a guppy book yeah. please do yeah but there's yeah. no obligation to but yeah. i don't i don't know I'm, I'm not going to charge yeah. because and i think lots of places do and uh, but i they I, do they do so and just on the money front then so if, if you're getting going and obviously you need some you know some some cash in hand and so on are there any places you would suggest that you could go to for for money i mean arts council i don't know arts, arts council, council or something like that yeah there is the arts council then if you've got an office there are you know various grants that you can go for 
um that i mean mm. it's it's quite a lot of work though looking into all those avenues that's one of the things i've discovered is the yeah. time consuming yeah. element of looking for money is is a big part that people just don't know about but um that you know there are grants for specific things especially i'm sure with um the fact that you're doing your publishing social justice publisher i'm sure yeah. there are grants there yeah. so uh we just had a comment on youtube marty you've probably just seen that that uh, bummer I, li yeah. I like that expression that takes me way back to the 60s bummer um you're only open to uk submissions is that right it's actually uk and ireland um, okay and yes uh, the reason for that is that i've noticed although this is changing that a lot of social justice themed fiction that does really well in the uk is actually imported from north america mainly from the us and you want and so i wanted yeah. to yeah. yes i wanted to yeah. create a bit of a culture of social yeah. justice fiction that's that's homegrown i included yeah. ireland because there's such recent history uh, with britain and obviously part of ireland is still under the uk yep. that i just felt i couldn't leave it out yeah got it okay so finally i'm gonna ask you marta here you go you've got one of britain's most experienced successful publishers right in front of you what do you want to ask her how do i not burn out <laughs> um oh play it by your terms you've just got to do it on your own terms that's all and actually burning out i mean yes i, I can that's such a good question i think you've just got to um keep an eye on yourself and make sure other people are as well um but you're not overdoing it mm. but also being controlled as well i think that's part of the guppy thing but part of the open submission thing was in order to make sure that i was able to control um how much is coming in because i think that's such a you know once people are realized that a new publisher is set up suddenly the floodgates open and you're bombarded so i think that's one way is controlling the sort of incoming submissions yeah yeah great advice thank you thank you both <laughs>
very good publisher, and Forge Books, very good publisher. I've had four non-fiction books published. My 20, uh, 2003 book, In the Name of Science, A History of Secret Programs, Medical Research, and Human Experimentation, published by St. Martin's Press. I wonder who we want. If you're joining us live, just tell me who, who your publisher was there, because I know them very well. They've actually published me in the past. Um, received a starred review in Publishers Weekly. In addition, I'm nearly finished with a 90,000-word novel based on the true story of one of the few survivors of Joseph Stalin's mass execution order, the infamous Kachin massacre, following the Soviet invasion of Poland in 1939. That novel will be completed this winter. All right, so we, we are wheeling out our new Michael Crichton for your reading, and that is Robert. Rivers of the Black Moon by Andrew, read by Robert. Chapter 1, December 11, 2021, Edinburgh, Scotland. The apartment had already taken on the putrid stench of death, ripped open and eviscerated as if someone had dug through the intestinal tract, searching for something within its folds. The contorted body lay surrounded by total chaos, furniture overturned, pillows gutted, drawers emptied, carpeting pulled up. From the looks of it, the ransacking had been desperately thorough, but futile. One blinding flash of a police department camera followed another, then another, as evidence of the grisly scene was gathered and documented. Outside, along the wet cobblestones of Church Street, a crowd of curiosity seekers had gathered around the black and white coroner's wagon and turned as one to watch a tall, athletic man in his early forties exit an unmarked vehicle, enter the building and bound up the two flights of stairs to the murder scene. What do we have here? demanded Inspector James McFadden, Special Investigations Unit of Scotland Yard his voice startling the workers as he strode into the steamy room. He grimaced when the stomach-turning odour of rotting flesh and desiccated body fluids assaulted his nostrils. Inspector Constable Nigel Brodish, Edinburgh Police, was caught off guard by the sudden appearance of a high-ranking official from the Yard's international branch. We didn't expect anyone from intelligence on the case so soon, if at all. We'd been told it was a local matter. McFadden's steely grey eyes zeroed on, in on the body. Afraid not, constable, he said tersely. Eager to probe more, but prevented by protocol from doing so, Brodish peered at the body with greater intensity now, as if re-evaluating its significance. It's a nasty one, sir, if you ask me. It was a goddamn animal behind this. McFadden lifted a handkerchief to his nose and walked slowly around the body. He had been at Scotland's Yard for nearly twenty years, and at forty-two had seen it all. It was inevitable to become hardened by so many years of exposure, he rationalised. By design, every new agent on the force suffered through a period of desensitisation, assigned to the most gruesome cases until he or she would become transformed from innocent rookie to a callous professional who could look at a victim's lifeless eyes and cold flesh and see nothing but a piece of evidence from which to pluck the clues that would lead to a final resolution. Though McFadden had learned early on to hide his emotions, at least in public, the violent murders, brutal rapes and terrorist bombings that indiscriminately tore innocent children's arms and legs from their bodies was something he could not get used to and was ashamed to admit. 
and though he pretended to be strong and unemotional at the scene of every crime, in private he would let his rage explode at the pain and suffering human beings could inflict on one another. And there, lying before him like a slab of butchered meat, was yet another example of everything he hated about a degenerate society that had made someone do something like this. With keen eyes he outlined the body and stared at the dried, hardened blood that had soaked nearly half the carpet in the room. He spoke softly and deliberately, trying to free his cluttered mind from the sound of needless words as he concentrated. Aye, an animal it was, constable, but from the condition of this flat and the poor bastard's desiccated innards, I'd say it was an animal looking for something important, very important. He made a 360-degree sweep of the room before returning to the body, then leaned forward for a closer look at the stomach, which sat atop the chest in two finely cut, longitudinal sections. Has this body been moved or touched? No, sir, Brodish answered. Hands and feet are still tightly bound, mouth gagged to prevent him from screaming, and as you can see, there's quite a gash on the left side of the head, no doubt the cause of death. I'm not so sure, judging by the amount of blood. McFadden drew a wide arc with his index finger, indicating where blood had soaked into the carpet, then pointed to long streams of dry blood that spread outward several feet from the body and where he suspected intermittent pulses of blood must have spurted as a result of pressure from severed arteries. Alright, let's go straight to Bella and get an instant gut reaction to a medical thriller. Um, I really like, I like the title, um, oh. and I thought the blurb was quite intriguing. Um, I wasn't so keen on, uh, I, I just felt I'd read it before. I felt it was very, a sort of classic novel where you come in with the hardened detective. Um, yeah. I wasn't quite sure who, which detective at the start was the main character. Um, I found it, it the, the writing was was really decent, but I just didn't find anything different, I suppose, in it. Or yeah. um, It was all kind of laid out there, and that's the sort of classic desensitised detective novel, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but without anything extra, um, yeah. I mean, it was it was fine, but was I'm not right. sure I was yeah. very excited by yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, fine. And I think I think that's the general conclusion of the the genius room too. Actually, Johnny says it's well written, but nothing new. And he says nothing really stands out yet. Phil, I've read this scene a hundred times. A number of uh, people have said that too. What did you think, Marta? Um, well, I agree. Uh, there's just nothing much for me to stand out. I saw a comment in the chat about, is it the right time to come up with another pandemic? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> yes, I wondered that. And I also mm. wonder whether AIDS, you know, is it at that stage where it would turn into another pandemic? Possibly mm. not. I'm, I'm really no scientist, but I just wondered, because it does seem like they've made quite good progress in terms of managing HIV and AIDS. Um, I did think as well there was maybe too much backstory and exposition um, quite early on, but we've seen that in quite a few positions. Uh, I would say this is a case where maybe showing uh, more and telling less would be good. Show yeah. us that the inspector cannot get used to the gruesome stuff. That's great. Yeah. I'm glad he's not used to the gruesome stuff. That makes sense. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm pleased for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There was also one thing I picked up in the blurb. Uh, something about Congo, then Congo immediately becomes Africa. Yeah, that's um, right. That's right. And the title includes Rivers of the Black Moon. Not again. Uh, there's this just 
we can't seem to get away in our culture from this mm. monolithic idea of Africa. It's That's so very interesting, isn't it? What yeah. does Congo have in common with Egypt or Gambia mm. or, you know, South Africa? Um, so I just thought that was generic and cheap, really. Yeah, there you go. You've got a good telling off there, Andrew. Um, I'm wondering um, if it's. I, I just need. I need. I need. You know. I. Need, I would love to discover the next Michael Crichton. Oh yeah, who wouldn't? Um, and you've definitely got the. You know, the chops through it. You've got the you know, the credibility and the knowledge and so on. Plus, you've all, already been published before. And you've been published by Tor and Forge. I'm thinking you've, you've had science fiction published. So that's interesting. So you're making a, a genre change here. Um, but you know, it's it's kind of why now and what's relevant and what's what's the the big new idea? The secret I've said this a number of times before. I'll say it again though. The secret is you don't actually have to be radically new. You if you're working in an existing genre, you just have to be about half a step ahead of other people. You've got to have one thing that's really interesting, really significant, and and, and kind of will take take readers forward with you. But I'm I'm searching for that here. I don't quite see that. And I agree with the comments that have been made as far as AIDS is concerned too. Let's. You've got a 54, it's not bad. Let's just look at the numbers there. Um, people liked your title, actually. Yeah. Um, Genius Dream, not huge on the craft. I'm not huge on the craft either, mostly because I think it's it's very formulaic. I need I need you to work a bit harder than that. Let's look at the final score now. Uh, before the last submission happens, but it's not the final score. Belinda, you're with us live. You are still in the lead. Can you believe it? With one more submission to go. This is from Jane. Jane's with us. Hello, Jane. <laughs> Very nervous, as you should be. No nails left. Just absolute down to bleeding stumps those fingers are, I'm sure. We like, we like you to suffer a little. Um, Women's fiction, so we've already discussed that <laughs> as a genre. Uh, is it a genre or is it a description of half the population? Um, QR code there too, so people can shoot off to your website, I think. Yeah, it is actually. It's interesting. I'll, I'll tell everybody about that in a minute. Um, you, it, and everything good. That's your title. Yikes. <laughs> good. Excellent. I love it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Set in the 1980s, ah, oh, I remember well, this is a coming-of-age story looking at power and control. M wants to escape her small village and live in London. That's funny, because everyone in London wants to escape and go out to a small village now. But first, she must sort out her violent relationship with her alcoholic boyfriend and deal with her own demons. It explores the subculture of BDSM, Fetishism. I don't think I've got, can I try saying that again? Fetishism. There we go. And the E generation, as M tries to find, and I'm just, there we go, her place in a world where men seem to hold all the cards. You, it, and everything good by Jane. Read by Emily. 1978. I can smell the pine trees. I imagine rubbing my fingers along the bark, making them sticky with oozing sap. I don't want to think about how my knees hurt as the fallen pine needles dig into them. I don't want to hear the laughing or see the look on his face. I close my eyes and think about the trees. I don't want to see. 1983 I have a moment as I wake up. I'm happy. 
Then I feel the carpet burns on my knees and my arms. My head feels fuzzy and the memory of why I'm lying on the floor with my skirt rucked up around my waist, fully exposed, flashes through my mind. It's like a flicker book, graphic, as if I was an onlooker rather than a participant. He's not there. I look around the room. It's a bedroom, but we were on the floor. The carpet is dirty and there are dog hairs all over my clothes. I find and put on my knickers and pull down my skirt. I go to the bathroom to pee. Between my legs feels tender and slightly swollen. When I wash my hands, I see my face in the mirror. My eye makeup is on my cheeks. I look dirty. There's an ugly-looking love bite on my neck. Classy. I look for some loo roll to clean off the makeup that slipped down my face, but there's just an empty roll. Instead, I splash my face with water and try to rub off the makeup with my fingers. I look at the dirty towel hanging off the towel rail and leave my face to dry naturally. I pad downstairs in my bare feet, clutching last night's stilettos. It smells of stale cigarettes and vomit. Someone is boiling a kettle. I go towards the sound. You all right? It's Claire. She doesn't look at me as she fills the mugs with boiling water. Yeah. You? Yeah. She goes to the fridge, takes out a bottle of milk, smells the open bottle's contents, then splashes milk into both mugs. She hands me a cup and I follow her into the living room. An album is still on the turntable. You can hear it buzzing and clicking. People are asleep on the floor, the sofa, the chairs, everywhere. We tiptoe over loosely splayed limbs to get to the back door. In the garden there's a pair of manky, once-white garden chairs, damp with dew, next to a sad-looking tree on a concrete patio. We perch on the edge of the wet seats. I feel coldness go through the material of my skirt and knickers. It feels nice. I watch Claire's breath make small clouds in front of her face. Eventually, Claire says, Last night was something, weren't it? Yeah, you could say that. Sorry about... Ah, it's okay. I probably should have listened. He was frisky, that one. I laugh, but I know it sounds empty. Claire looks up at me from under her long, black, still perfectly applied mascara lashes and dark, neat fringe. A perfect Princess Di impression. It annoys me. If she's something to say, why doesn't she say it? Instead, she looks back into her coffee cup and says, What time is your mum coming to get us? Eleven. Okay, we better get tidied up then. I have some makeup in me bag. It'll sort out that thing on your neck. Cool. Ta. When mum turns up, we both climb into the back seat of the car. Did you have a nice time? Yeah, it was good. For the rest of the journey, we are silent as Women's Hour plays on Radio 4. They are discussing the rise of the yuppie and women in business. I zone out, gazing through the window. The sun is already high in the sky. It looks to be another bright spring day. I open the car window a little and let the breeze rush over my face. The fields are a patchwork of greens and yellows. Mum drives around the country roads easily, waving and nodding at all the passing cars. She knows everybody. I close my eyes, enjoying the light wind and the quiet undulation of the car. So apologies, I did actually press the wrong button, um, which is a live show, guys. We don't do it in post-production, so, you know, you do you do get the occasional cock-up, <laughs> more than occasional. Um, so let me tell you about Jane uh, now, after you've uh, you, you've heard the reading, I'm um, for which thank you very much, Emily. Uh, I'm editor and co-founder of Macarel. I think that's um, 
I think that's the link you just saw. It's mackerel.com, an online literary and arts magazine, which I started during lockdown uh, with two friends who I met online while we completed our MA in creative writing. I write poetry and short stories, but mostly novels. In my past life, I was an unsuccessful alternative comedian. Now, that's funny already. Uh, who went on to be a successful manager working for posh banks and the like. Then I got a load of tattoos, <laughs> which they didn't like very much. <laughs> so now I write. So hate, love. Yes, I can see that. Uh, tap dance, knit, and try not to fuck up my kids. Very good. You've got your priorities right. When I'm not doing that, I take photographs, prod the cats, and try to think of something in interesting to make for tea. I also have a husband who is very lovely. Bella, what did you think? I really like that. I really liked the writing. I thought it was fantastic. And it was exactly what well, I mean. It, it, it said it did everything you want writing to do. So it gives information about the characters, uh, view of the protagonist. Um, it's very clear. I, I thought it was fabulous, actually, the writing. I would have given it, I think, 100, but I, I slightly bottled it at the last time. Um, time. Mm. But, and, mm. but, yeah, I thought it was wonderful. I'm not so sure about the title, actually. It doesn't really do it for me. Um, I know a lot of people in the chat room thought it was wonderful. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued to know what happened. I thought the presentation at the beginning of something has happened. You know, obviously, she's been abused, and, yeah, that wasn't explicit. You know, it was suggested and you knew that had happened but you it was just really cleverly and skillfully done i thought i saw that in in the genius room kate actually said that i don't know if i can see that now but um i think i she, yeah kate says how to say you've been sexually abused without describing the act and yes mm -hmm. i think that was in incredibly uh, skillful actually what did you think marta um yes i agree on the writing so i won't repeat it um the title actually really pulled me in. I think I'm attracted to titles that are a bit uh, cryptic. Mm. Um, I wasn't so sure on the blurb. The reason I gave you such a low score is uh, there's a mixture there of a violent relationship that needs sorting out and then exploration of BDSM. Mm. And I wasn't quite sure whether the two were supposed to be concurrent or separate. I mean, it's perfectly plausible that she might sort out the violent relationship, leave the guy, then move to London and start exploring BDSM. Um, but it, it's, it wasn't entirely clear. And I guess my concern would be, you know, a, a BDSM relationship done right is not a violent relationship. It's not an abusive relationship. Yeah. And I know that BDSM has been uh, sort of misportrayed in the past. I mean, I've not read the Five, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey series, but I've heard that actually the way it portrays the BDSM scene is not how hmm. sort of insiders would hmm. would portray it themselves. And they, a lot of people have said that that's not actually how it should be done. Yeah. Um, so I would be wary of not repeating that mistake, but I don't know that this book does particularly. Yeah, that's great. Uh, let's just look at the genius room for any final comments. Another great reading was, wasn't it, actually? Uh, I would read on. That's what we're looking for here. Well done, says uh, Johnny Tamerly. Uh, my squeaky voice wouldn't have hacked it. Great voice and pace, says Michelle. Uh, I don't think the title fits the prose, says Hannah. Title sounds comic. It does, actually. It's got a... Yeah, it has. You're actually right. It's It's got a sort of an, a 1980s feel to it, actually, hasn't it? It's... Um, yeah, who's that? Who's that English actor? Three we three weddings guy, Hugh Grant. It's got a Hugh Grant feeling to it, which I don't think you're going for. Um, 
the, uh, see what um, Jane says, um, uh, Marta, the BDSM in the book is done positively. There yeah, you go. that's not good then. They're brilliant. And Eva, I agree. Hannah, and breezy the sub subjects are. Another great reading. Okay, so we are now at the stage where I'm going to press the scorecard button for the final time, and let's see what the situation is. Wow, that is close, isn't it? <laughs> that is close. Amazing, amazing. Everyone's done really well tonight. Everyone. But I would say, actually, it's been very, very tight. 63 to you, Belinda. I know you're with us now. Three, three points in it, and that's all. Jane has nudged in there. Look, uh, the craft, actually. Very, very good marks on the craft. I think that's probably what's done it for you, Jane. And you're in there at 66, which makes... Well done, Jane. Very pleased for you. Very pleased for you. Let's see if you're still the winner at the end of the month. And that will be interesting, won't it? I hope you've you found it a good show, at least. I find it a great show, actually. I would love having Marta on. Of course, the return of Bella. I can't wait for Bella to come back. She's so good. Um, Marta has really cut her teeth on, on the show now, and hopefully she won't be a stranger. I want to say thank you so much to the Genius Room for being basically geniuses. Yeah, well done, Jane. Look, there you go. Obviously, to Kate and Rachel for doing all the fabulous booking that makes it happen behind the scenes. Obviously, to Emily for organising the submissions and our wonderful team of narrators. But most of all, of course, to you, the writers, who make this whole thing possible. Keep doing it. We'll see you same time next Sunday. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about! Wait! Okay, now, from the beginning. Hit it, boys.